Hi, everyone. Thank you for joining us. This is... Are these books drunk? Oh my god, you guys, that was really close. <laughs> that was the best one yet. I think so. I'm Brandy. I'm Emma. And I'm Mariana. This is your book club with a twist, and we are your happy hour girlfriends. This month, we're talking about My Sister, the Serial Killer, by Oinka Braithwaite. Ladies, this week yes. couldn't come quick enough. Oh my god, I know. <laughs> you know. I'm stoked to continue gabbing about these two spellbinding sisters, Corday and Ayula, and why we find them in this crazy and almost psychopathic predicament. Yeah. Seriously. Well, last time we got pretty borrachas and sweaty <laughs> chatting over their dubious yeah. sisterly dynamic. What we would do if we found ourselves in such an unfathomable situation and we further digressed by embellishing on our very own thought-provoking theories of what's to come. So, bum, bum, bum. without further delay, let's get drinking. Yes, yes please. please. Thank you. I thought you'd never <laughs> ask. <laughs> Hopefully, y'all have read up to the designated chapter for today's episode. Otherwise, this cocktail's name won't mean much to you. Today, we'll be drinking a cocktail aptly named Sugar Daddy. Oh. <laughs> we are changing <laughs> gears finally and going with a dark spirit, but she yeah. still got that sweet little touch. Mm-hmm. Here to share the recipe for today's cocktail is my sugar daddy. Yeah. No, just kidding. He's not. <laughs> Our bartender in residence, Ricardo. Ciao ragazze, benvenute. Hi. So the cocktail of the day is it's called Sugar Daddy and it's self-explanatory. Yes, it is. <laughs> Very appropriate. I'm going to give you two versions of the cocktail just to uh, have like a sweet version and a less sweet version. Oh, thank God. Yes, thank you I'm so sorry, much for that. I'm <laughs> sorry, it's not a tequila-based cocktail, Mariana. Aww. I promise. One I'm way, working on one it. Day. One, one day. This cocktail is uh, uh, a bourbon-based cocktail and the recipe calls for two ounces of bourbon, one ounce of fresh squeezed grapefruit juice, one ounce of orange juice, and a quarter of an ounce of orange curacao. But if you don't have orange curacao, you can substitute it with Cointreau or triple sec. Perfect. Put all the ingredients in the shaker with a big ice cube and a cracked ice cube or a smaller ice cube. Shake everything and strain up into a coupe or in a martini glass and you're gonna uh, garnish the cocktail with a maraschino cherry and here it is it sounds delicious sweet sweet and sour sweet Sweet and sour sour. i'll take it (laughs) just like us (laughs) (laughs) but if you don't want the sweet aspect of the cocktail you can easily substitute the bourbon with the with the rye to have like a different profile different flavor profile Mm. it's it's different is more robust is 
is boozy. It, there's a lot of. Booze. I like that. <laughs> yeah. You know who you're <laughs> talking to. Yeah, <laughs> it's definitely appropriate for you, ladies. <laughs> so, hey, Ricardo, if you use bourbon, what do you recommend as far as like uh, a brand or rye? Uh, oh, yeah. My bourbon, my to-go bourbon uh, for cocktail is for roses. But if you wanna be, if you wanna use Redemption uh, or Boule, it's fine. Like they are good brand brands, so you can you can buy one rye and one bourbon for each one of these brands, and like you'll be very satisfied. We'll be set. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank okay. you. So, alla vostra salute, Aww. ragazze. Ciao, Enjoy Ricardo. the cocktails. Gracias. Thank you. Ciao. Bye. Gracias, Ricardo. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Salud. Now, hold on. Wow. Mariana, am I, am I seeing ice cubes in your glass? Oh. Are you drinking this on ice? Was I not supposed to? Ricardo Fuck me It's about time somebody else got in trouble It's always me (laughs) Okay, I thought that we were supposed to shake it And then just pour the ice into No, okay (laughs) I'm completely wrong with this one, huh? Well, bottoms up Mm. Well, there's a little Mm. bit of bitterness Mm. For me to this cocktail Which sort of coincides with the bitterness That Corday is feeling towards Ayula Oh, hey this week's chapters have us taking a deep dive into the brewing resentment between Corday and Ayula when Ayula begins dating Tode, mm-hmm. the handsome, charismatic doctor and colleague mm-hmm. that Corday has had her heart set on. Corday recounts watching her father die and letting him as they prepare for the obligatory 10-year anniversary memorial of his death. And just as hashtag Femi Durand is missing is losing traction, an eyewitness neighbor comes forward saying he saw two women leaving Femi's house the night he went missing. The police question Ayula, and upon learning that Corday was the other woman involved, they take her car for inspection. To be clear, that's the same car that Femi's body was in. Transported Before they disposed. Oh. You're right. And then a new man shows up to take Ayula on a date. Mm-hmm. A man Corriday soon learns Ayula has been seeing for quite some time. Seems to me like Ayula has been seeing a lot of men slash boys mm-hmm. for a long time. Many. And it seems that this one, yeah, yeah, <laughs> this one is a sugar daddy. <laughs> Look at you plugging it right on I top. I saw you, I'm Mariana. So <laughs> yeah, because I this first chapter that we started discussing opens like the first moment of the section is Coraday explaining. How she knew that Ayula was more beautiful than she was all the mm. way back since secondary oh, school. Yeah. yeah. Remember she talks about like the polls that the boys created for the hottest so, girls and their uh, physique. The I drawing the that they of made you. of her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. The eights versus the ones. Mm. The curvy girls versus the sticks is basically mm. what I mean, it is. I don't know about the two of you, but that like really resonated with me. I was like, oh, yeah. I know this. I know Com- these boys. Mm-hmm. Completely. I think we all well, do, it- sadly. Oh, absolutely. I mean, if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys saw the social network, but it's basically what Facebook was like based on. Right. Right. Was like, let's find the pretty ones and you can basically, you know, stop. Get rid of the ones you don't like. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Yeah. 
Right. Uh, I remember Ugh. back in fifth grade, actually, this takes me way back. <laughs> so fifth grade, I started a new school because I had just auditioned for a magnet art program. My third grade oh. teacher had uh, oh. basically told me about these ma- magnet art program because she knew I was already a dancer and you had to have really good academics, but also be very talented in your art form. Uh-huh. So when I started fifth grade in this new school, I was so psyched. But then half of the day I was wearing a leotard because I was part of the dance program. Oh. And half of the day I was in my academics, my yes. normal self, I guess. So literally my boobs were preceding me. <laughs> like it was oh. like my boobs were pretty much God. there. You, said, all- you have bazungas. Yeah, I have said that. Which I'm very proud yeah. of them now, but I, I yeah. will never forget how these boys all of a sudden, like my boobs were a topic mm. that everybody was talking about, oh, which God. granted, it's like when you're what, 10, you don't quite understand what's going on and you're starting pre-puberty. And so it, yeah. it's a lot of things that emotional things that you're going through. Sure. Right. But because they would call so much attention to my boobs and especially being a dancer, you're supposed to be flat chested. Oh, so yeah. it was kind of like this back and forth and this internal battle of, okay, I want to be what I'm supposed to be. I'm supposed to be a girl that's growing up. But then I also don't understand why they're calling me out on it not knowing that they actually were attracted to that but I thought it was like a negative thing and then also 10 years old right and it was a negative thing for dance because you shouldn't have those right extra glands right (laughs) right that's so so it was really tough for me in that regard that's also like an age where it's so important to you to be like everybody else so any little thing that's like different or that sets you apart is like immediately a point of shame completely which is so funny because I had the opposite I they used to call me mosquito bites because I was (gasps) so flat and all I wanted was boobs (gasps) in third grade I I sucked I was really skinny and I like sucked my my rib cage in and I told my friend Vincent that my ribs were my boobs and he was like no they're not Emma. Oh my God. So I feel you so I, hard, Maria. Yeah. I think I feel like it's worse. It's worse on your end for sure. It's weird because no, mine is us. a boob one too. Huh? I had when I was in high school, my boyfriend at the time oh and he knows who he is <laughs> came up to me one day and we were just like walking down the hallway talking, and he told me that one of his friends told him to tell me. That I had a nice rack. Oh, and he said it like it should be a compliment. And I remember having an initial moment of being like, "Oh, (laughs) thank you, great, like, like, thank, thanks." Yeah, but it's that like weird thing of like having people looking at you in that way and then thinking it's okay to like comment on it, right? Even to like your boyfriend, Mm -hmm. right? Who then also thinks it's okay to pass along that info. I mean, listen, this could open like a huge door of conversation that I would love to get into. Totally, because I just started thinking about other individuals who called me out in that regard. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, mean, I'm sure we all have countless stories. Yeah. Absolutely. So then after this moment, Mm -hmm. we get to... (laughs) Let's move on. (laughs) Moving on. We get to Coraday being berated at the dinner table by her mother for being upset with Ayula because Ayula came to visit her at the hospital. And again, I have to note, we have Coraday and her mom sitting on the same side of the table, opposite 
of Ayula. Mm. And this sort of alignment on the author's part, it's happened earlier in the book. And originally I thought, oh, she's trying to equate Coraday with the mom. They're the good ones. Ayula and the dad are the bad ones. Right. Mm-hmm. But I don't know about you guys, but the more I get to know about this mom and... I I don't know. The more I get to know about this mom, there's something funny about her. And I don't think she's completely pure or innocent in the same way that I don't think Coraday is completely innocent in what's going on. You don't think the mom is innocent? Like, do you think she has like a tarnished or a dirty that she's been a culprit of mess is what you're saying? Hmm. I think... And I'm sure we're going to get to some of this in the later sort of little sections of this book. But I think that this mom has a habit of sort of turning a blind Mm -hmm. eye or like she sort of chooses what she wants to see when she wants to see it and who she wants to hold responsible for it. Like she doesn't quite she doesn't experience reality in the way that it is. She experiences it through her own filter. Corday even says at one point. She says, mother still talks about Ayula as if she were a child rather than a woman who rarely hears the word no. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I do agree with you about this and the mom. I don't think, though, that it comes from a malicious place. I think that she has been so burned and scarred from her relationship with her husband. I think that there was a lot of abuse probably verbally and physically. Mm -hmm. I mean, later we find out that she was taking pills to go to sleep. You know, she. I think that she has just been the byproduct of a really bad, unhealthy relationship. And I'm guessing that she was always made to be the, um, you know, like the weak woman in the relationship. And so therefore, I think that's why she's, she has these filters for how she sees things. But I think that's made her an enabler. And I mm. do wonder how much of, I mean, in the same way that she was an enabler for her husband, right? We know that we know the father was abusing the girls in some way mm-hmm. or showed abusive behavior. Yeah. And in the same way that she sort of, I hate, I, I don't want to say it in this way, but I don't know how else to say it. In the same way that she sort of allowed that behavior to continue, I, I wonder if she's sort of doing the same thing for Ayula now. I wonder if she knows really what's going what on. What Ayula is mm-hmm. and what Ayula, what her tendencies probably are. And I wonder if that is why she's so protective of her and so quick to give Coraday responsibility for Ayula's yeah. shortcomings. Yeah. I, I'm also curious because I remember mentioning to you guys in the last episode that sometimes families put on these labels on their children or in their family members. And there's so much favoritism from the mm-hmm. mother towards yeah. Ayula versus Corday. Yep. And that's, yeah. again, the whole enabling factor. Like, why? You don't need to do that. Why are you treating someone like that and treating this other one like a spinster as opposed to be treating her? Yes. She's treating her like an old maid, like a spinster. And they're I'm sure they're not that different in age but there's something about that that really bothers me coming from the mother the one who's spearheading supposedly the one who's taking over the household and there's still just this such a discrepancy in the way she treats one versus the other which is there's so much favoritism yeah 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 i totally feel that and it's weird 
It's strange. There's something really. I don't know if you guys ever read. Did you ever read like Water for Chocolate? Do you know this book? <gasps> no. And the movie. I saw the movie too. The movie. <laughs> it I does have it. Feelings yeah. about. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. do the it book justice. It doesn't do the book justice, right? Never but does. There is. There mm-hmm. are three sisters in that book, not two. But the youngest sister, which I think is the main character in that book, is not allowed to get married because she's the one who's supposed to take care of her mom as she ages. Mm -hmm. Uh, And the whole book is about that youngest sister falling in love Mm -hmm. and not being able to pursue it because she's supposed to be the one who takes care of her mom. But a part of me did wonder, like, is this a culture? Could there be some kind of a cultural aspect? to this does the mom not want to let Coraday go because she's sort of the one who's supposed to be a companion or something she seems to hardcore be pushing marriage for Ayula and not for Coraday I think that's because she knows that Ayula is so much more I mean it's a terrible thing to say but I think yeah she just she knows that the prospects are better yeah that Ayula is the one that's that will be more likely to be married earlier because she is very attractive and she's very outgoing. Yeah. Right. And, and she always has suitors and boyfriends. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and it's interesting with the whole culture, culture aspect, because I, I know I've mentioned this before, but with the Hispanic cultures, there's always the sense of there's one who's going to take care of the mom. And there's yeah. one who is maybe the middle child or the youngest who is the most attractive, who is the one that's going to be kind of like the head of the family. She's going to be the one yeah. that is going to show this persona and present herself as like, I'm the one that is the star, pretty mm, much. Right. For right. lack of a better word. Yeah. This is fascinating, yeah. guys. Things that we didn't. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We can go deep. Deep. Uh, Don't you guys also read in a book? No, no. You saddle up with us. We're going to pick this shit apart. We're going to get into the roles of the roles. Well, speaking of picking the shit apart, there's also a lot of similarities from the last book that we read. Yo, I thought that too. Yes. Yeah. Going into a a new section, there was a point... in the section where Corday talks about this painting that they still have it in their home. Uh-huh. And there's this painting is one of the things that like she constantly is staring at. She finds herself like just looking at it and seeing not that it not its perfection, but seeing how it's basically a mirror image of what their house should be, but isn't. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's a painting, if I'm not mistaken, that their father commissioned. Commissioned. Yeah. Absolutely. And right. it has beautiful bright colors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The dog, the the, the house is painted dog. a certain way. Right. So that really reminded me about I'll drink to that and how Betty oh, no. <laughs> had this envision had this vision for herself of a dollhouse. That the right. dollhouse That's is something that she would be looking at from the outside, not really belonging to, but at least looking at it from an outsider's perspective and longing for it mm-hmm. the same way that Corday is looking at this painting yeah. wishing not to say that she would want others to think that this is this is perfection for her or this is what their family was but at least she was looking from an outsider's perspective in in and longing for what that could be yeah what that I actually perfect thought, picture is yeah I thought the same thing that comparison of the dollhouse yeah. and you know what else I clocked that I thought was interesting is she says she makes note that there's no people in this painting in the house yeah but it looks if you look closely there's like a shadow in a window of what seems to be a woman did either right. of you yes. have any thoughts as to which woman you think 
is the one in the painting. I, I had two thoughts. Go Tell ahead, us. Brandy. My first thought was that it's, you know, they've made mention before of the knife holding some kind of like the spirit of sort of the the knife having the spirit of something that guides mm, yeah. the person that's holding it. Mm. And I thought, could there be somebody, you know, further back in their line of succession who had this knife and that's the person who sort of kicked off this chain of events? That was my first thought. Okay. Huh. My second thought was, we know that the father had... This is jumping ahead a little bit, but we know he had mistresses or girlfriends or whatever. Right. So could whatever his whatever killed him, mm. we don't really know what the impetus for that was, but could it have something to do with some singular female, female figure, figure who kind of ripped everything apart? Huh. Did you say whatever killed the dad? Because we know what kills the dad. Right, but we don't know why necessarily. Like, we know he was violent, but we don't know, I mean, could it be that he was cheating with one particular woman and that led to some kind of internal argument within the family? You mean what was like the the beginning of the, like, the demise? Because, I mean, literally we know that he hit his head on the coffee table. Do we know that? Well, he was, he was over Corday, right? Ayula was hiding. Was hiding. Yeah, they, and then he, he grabs, was drunk. He goes he, to grab a stick or his cane or something. To hit Corday, right? Right. And then we just know he falls. So yeah, I'm wondering I thought if there he was hit like his an, head on the coffee table and he bled to death. That's yeah. Or somebody kicked him and knocked him over. Or he had some sort of stroke or aneurysm that all of a sudden he fell and that's why he hit himself on the coffee table. I thought it was because he was drunk. Oh. Didn't, didn't they make note of the fact that... He, did I totally make this up? I missed it. I missed I the thought, drunk part. I missed the drunk part. Oh, I want to go back and read it now. I might have made that up in my brain. I I totally interpreted that as that he had had one too many and he like stumbled because of it and then hit his head on the coffee table. Interesting. See, when that moment happened, to me, it was so ambiguous that I literally thought, was he about to hit Corday? Mm-hmm. And she, like, kicks him and knocks him over. Because she sort of skims, skims over, over it. Right. what actually brings him down. Right. And it almost seemed to me like she was wanting to allude to, like, maybe he fell. Maybe he did have some kind of natural, maybe a heart attack or something. But I did wonder, I was like, did she murder him? Did she have some hand in his killing? And if you and I, I'm kind of leaning towards that because if she's the one that kicks him and that's why he dies, Ayula is the one that's watching all of this happen. Right. The mother is nowhere in sight. She's actually in her deep sleep because of Ambien. So, right. (laughs) I don't know, guys. I don't know. These are all theories. We don't know. This is where why this is I going. think this book is so good because she drops so all these great. little clues, right. and then she just kind of leaves them there for you to ruminate on. Like I, I had three different thoughts in this quick moment. She talks about um, speaking of the dog in the painting. She's quickly yes. like, yeah. "Oh, it's like they knew that we had a dog," and then yep. she lets that go. So I'm like, "Okay, what happened to but the dog?" That was then weird. she talks about yeah. what's that. It was weird that the painter didn't know that they had the dog, and yet there's still a dog in the painting. That was that was odd. Right? And then this chair that belonged to the dad that she says they burned to a crisp. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, okay, there's something major going on there. 
And then I guess it's shortly after this, she talks about the piano and something happened with the piano. So she's dropping all these little hints. Yeah. I love I love that. Yeah. What happened to the dog? What happened to the chair? What happened to the piano? What happened to the dad? Who is this woman? I want all the answers. (laughs) I agree with you. And I think I think that chair thing, you know, when she mentions burning the chair to a crisp, she says it as if that's some. she's I think she says that's something we don't discuss. But her mother must know about that. You know what I mean? And yet the mom is still, you know, she's still holding. Again, we're going to read about this later, but she's still holding this 10 year anniversary celebration of his Mm -hmm. to commemorate his death. And she's a good actress, the mom. She's a good actress, like Ayula is. Corday makes mention of that. Mm-hmm. And so I feel like there is this double side to the mom where she she decides what's real and what's not, what she will accept, what she won't. And then she just sort of like glosses over it and moves forward what in whatever the safest way mm-hmm. possible is going to be. Yeah. You know? The only other thing I wanted to say about this painting was that I thought it was really interesting that she makes reference to the fact that the house in the painting is bright white, Mm. but their house used to be white. Their real house used to be white, but now it's like a yellowed color because they haven't been able to paint it. And... I just immediately was taken back to the beginning of the book when she says that she says the same thing about the hospital uniforms, that they were once white. But when they started to yellow because people weren't maintaining them properly, the hospital switched to like a light pink color, except for Corday's. Corday is still wearing bright white because Mm -hmm. she can clean things like no other. But it made me wonder what's going on with this white versus this, like, corroded, yellow, muddied color. It felt like a metaphor for their family's history or for their conscience over something that happened, which is maybe the father's death, that they're all covering up, you know, whatever it is that happened there. It just feels like there's a stain on their white beautiful house hence to the section we're talking about that's labeled stain isn't it oh so then we get to the chapter break which is when tode sort of asks Corday for ayula's number after sort of no, Ayula he at does the hospital. it's heartbreaking i mean you're right he blatantly Ugh. he's completely oblivious to Corday's feelings Complain- for him and he blatantly asks Ayula's number. And I thought the title of this chapter was really interesting because the word break, obviously, it has two meanings. You can take a break, which is what Corday tells Tode about Ayula. She says, I can't give you her number because she's taking a break from dating right now. But break can also mean like breaking something. Right. Mm -hmm. And it did feel like this moment to me was like a possible breaking point between... What has held these two sisters apart? Or sorry, what has held these two sisters together? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I feel like Tode is going to be the thing that yep. it's just going to shatter them. And yeah, I don't know. It also felt like a kind of break inside of Corday as she accepts that she doesn't have the effect on Tode that Ayula does. 
Mm. To your point about that, she says when she's considering whether or not to give the number to Tode, she says if he doesn't see her, she will fade yeah. into the far reaches of his mind like a cold draft on an otherwise warm day. Right. You could totally visualize and feel that right. when she's yeah. contemplating whether or not to do this. I have to say, though, when I read that quote, I thought, no, he's not going to forget No, her. right. <laughs> but I agree with you. It's a beautiful image. And I think the, the fact that it was so vivid is what immediately made me think, like, no, <laughs> this guy's going to go after her. Wah-wah. Like, no question. And I love this quote that Coraday, she says to Tode, her relationships tend to end badly, mm. meaning Ayula's relationships tend to end badly. And his response is, oh, guys can be jerks. Like putting yeah. all of the fault on the men. Like it's um, the men's yeah. fault that the relationship's ending. Yeah. Ended having no idea. Right. It's- I mean... In Ayula's defense, we don't know what happened. She's claiming self-defense. <laughs> I mean, no matter what happened, she still murdered them. Right. So, But if they were trying to attack her... I don't believe that for a second, though. I don't either. <laughs> <laughs> I don't either. Just goes to show either. you never really know a person, do ya? No. Yeah. Do ya? <laughs> no, you don't. So fast forward to the next section. Speaking of that. (laughs) (laughs) You never know, right? It's talking about you never know. So you'll never know. (laughs) There's there's this this section called serenade. We're we're being serenaded. (laughs) That's called entitled flapper. And it's it, it opens up with how Ayula has her own business and she's sketching all these designs. Right. And then she poses with the designs that she's created on social media. She's making clothes, She's a right? social That's media whore. She is. Yes. Perfect. Is. And Corday labels that as it's a marketing ploy. You look at a beautiful person with a great body and think maybe... Yeah. If you can combine the right clothes and accessorize appropriately, you can look as good as they do. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, immediately, that made me think about the generation that we're in, mm-hmm. the age that we're in, and how social media, how marketing, promote everything constantly bombard us on a daily. And why do we have to feed into this? Why can't we do what we want and not want something that we don't have or something that is not even real. And I, and the thing is, I, I constantly get bombarded with ads. And I don't know if it's like Alexa listening to me. or Probably. Oh God, probably. <laughs> she listens to everything. Yeah. But it's like it's overwhelming that, you know, we, we're told, okay, this is how you should dress at your age. This is what you should eat. This is how you should exercise and so on and so yep. forth. This is how you should look. This is how you should look. And we even see these models like as Ayula is perfectly, you know, showing us Mm -hmm. that it's like this is this is me and this is and I'm perfection. But then again, some of these models that you actually see on ads are probably not even trying these products or or not even like 
fully totally. giving into it's an what, illusion. It's an illusion. Yeah. And I don't know. It just it, it it it's so frustrating that we have to that a lot of us rely on that. And I get it. There there comes a point where you just have to give in. But why? But why do you mean we have to give in? Well, because I think people just give, I mean, that's why marketing and promoting and all of that has become so popular because we just do because we think that that's a given and that's what, that's who we should be. But why? I mean, don't you guys see these ads sometimes and you're like, absolutely. Oh, for sure. I need to dress this way. I need to look this way. I need to do this. I need to do that. And it also comes from a cultural thing, but I think it has a lot to do with our society. Yeah, I mean, I remember looking at YM magazine. Do you remember YM? No, no. What is? I I don't even Young. know what it stands for. I think it might stand for Youth Magazine. Oh, maybe. Oh, magazine. Yeah, YM. I used yeah, to read yeah. them religiously. My best friend and I would sit on her bed and flip through the pages and figure out. Oh, this is how we're supposed to tweeze our eyebrows. Oh, <laughs> this is you know, That's if you so do funny. these things, the boys will like ask you out on a date. Like that was way back when I was. 11, 12, I remember starting to feel that way. But I think advertising and marketing has been like that for a long time. Oh, completely. The problem now with this generation is that now we have the added element of social media, which they didn't have back then, which has just amplified the problem. Yeah, right. The other problem, I think, is that a lot of the people, at least back then, a lot of the people behind the marketing were men. So they were advertising things for women, but actually having no idea because right. how would they know what women need or what they're, I'm about to say what they're supposed to look like, but it, that's, there's no answer to that. Of course. But it was geared toward, it was geared at women so that from a male lens, if that makes sense. You Everything know what I mean? Because it's men doing, mm-hmm. it, it, because it's men creating it, it's for women, but for the appreciation of men. Yeah, which I know I'm going to jump right now, but their aunt, what's her, how do you pronounce her name? I think Taiwo. Taiwo? That's what I think too, yeah. She even goes on this long tirade of, you need to stroke the male ego in front of his friends to make sure that he was maddening. Like, just stuff like that. To get that ring on your finger. Yeah. Right. Right. Again, but another anyways. huge door for another huge conversation that I could talk about forever. I know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so also in this chapter, though, Flapper seems to be the first moment that Ayula is aware that Corday likes Tode mm-hmm. and she still decides to pursue him like pretty blatantly. Mm-hmm. Like she pretty much asks Right. Ayula, if she's interested. And Ayula kind of gives a noncommittal answer, but it seems, or sorry, Corday gives a noncommittal answer, but it seems like Ayula knows what's up. Mm-hmm. And she basically says, what does she say? Like, you can't always have what you want yeah. or something like that. Ironic, since she seems to always get what she wants. But <laughs> it seemed like a very clear sort of like division point and for then- them. What's really interesting is that after that moment, she Corday still continues to fold Ayula's clothes that she left yeah. everywhere. Yeah, like Ayula was just such a bitch to her, and like, sorry if you like him, I'm gonna keep pursuing him. And then she's picking up her clothes, and I know she's a right. neat freak, but I don't know. There's something more funky about that to me. 
it's like picking up the clothes distracts her from what is really happening. From what's really happening. It's like really the cleanliness happening. and her she meticulousness. Just walk out of the room. Just, it's like that's her therapy yeah. or something. Yeah. It's like cleaning up. I also think mm. there's an element of like, we can't forget this is a big sister and a little sister. And it's also a big sister who was probably protecting her little sister in an abusive situation. You right. know what I mean? So there's a lot of like mothering that goes on in a relationship like that. Mm -hmm. And so I think there is a sense of like, even if you hurt me or like with cleaning up these murders, even if it's wrong, true, I'm going to do it for you. Yeah. It's an unspoken partnership. Somehow there's like, it's already, they, they have this mutual agreement than water. Yeah. Mm. They're sisters. Mm. Glad I don't have a sister. (laughs) Sorry. Me too. (laughs) Are you? I have two, and I I guess I'm saying that because, like, I know, like, I would do anything. They could say anything to me. Don't get any ideas, Chablis and Chardonnay. <laughs> but, like, they could say anything to me, and it would not matter. I would literally do anything. But that's wow. beautiful, but I think that's all due to your parents because I don't think a lot of, not a lot, I'm generalizing, but there's a lot of sibling relationships that don't end up that way. And so that's beautiful that you have that. True. And And I do think that is something that my mom very early on, like, it's kind of embarrassing to think about now. But when I was when I was a little girl, my sister and my younger sister and I are two and a half years apart. Mm -hmm. And my mom was so worried that I would be jealous or that I would hate the baby. (laughs) And so when Shibli was born, my mom, when they brought the baby home, she also brought me a beautiful pair of white cowboy boots that had these little fringes on the side they were gorgeous and she said these are from the baby the baby (gasps) brought you these oh my goodness because she didn't want me to have any resentment to smart and i would literally my mom tells me the stories and i'm embarrassed now but she says i would literally put these boots on and i would show them to everybody and i would say look at what my baby sister (laughs) so smart of your mom yes so so that was something my mom had in her sights like immediately yeah was how do i make sure that they take care of each other and don't hate each other yeah 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 (laughs) like when i was a little kid the worst thing my mom could punish us with was separating us that would literally end the argument is like if we were fighting it was like you guys go to your separate rooms and that was our punishment like you can't be together and that fixed it like immediately i wish those white cowboy boots still fit you brandy they were cute i'll send you guys a picture at some point because even now i'm like I might wear those <laughs> if they fit me. That she got for you when you were two and a half? Yeah, <laughs> yeah sure. They're, they're so they cute. They might fit you. They're adorable. No, I'm saying if they still fit oh. me, I would, I would I wear them. I thought you were saying if they still fit me. I was no, like, I might still oh, wear yeah, them like, they, if they sure. did still fit me. <laughs> they're, they, were, they were a hot little pair of boots. My sister had good taste. I have kind of a personal question for you guys. Yeah. In the next session of the book, it's it's the next section of the book is titled Mascara. And it's Corday getting herself ready for work. And she's doing up her makeup, which she doesn't normally wear. Mm-hmm. But it seems like this competition with her sister for Today's affections has sort of brought this out in her. So she puts on all of her makeup and then she's putting into her purse what she calls the essentials that every woman should have. She says, two packets of pocket tissue, 
one 30 centiliter bottle of water, one first aid kit, one packet of wipes, one wallet, one tube of hand cream, one lip balm, one phone, one tampon, one rape whistle. (laughs) And at first I thought, wow, is that what it's like there? And then I thought, wait a minute. I like rarely leave home without some form of, I hate to say this, but like some form of like anti-rape protection or like some oh, form really? of protection. Yeah. I carry a Kubaton that my mom oh, gave right. me. right. Yeah. But you yeah. don't have that anymore. It was taken away from me at the airport <laughs> a couple, like earlier this year, late last year. Yeah, my you Kubaton. told us that story was taken away from me by the TSA, <laughs> but I've replaced it with another one. It's on my keychain. I don't walk really? around without my Kubaton. And I wondered I wondered what your essentials are to have with you when you leave the house and do you have some form of protection that you carry with you as well? I'm prepared for this. Go ahead. Emma. I know my Tell essentials. Me. Tell us. My purse essentials are at least three chapsticks. <laughs> you and your collection. I'm obsessed still. Hoarding. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> I hoard chapsticks. <laughs> These days, a little bottle of hand sanitizer. Yep. Of course. Hand lotion. Good for you. Yeah. Especially yep. now because I'm washing my hands all the time. All the my time. Hands get so dry. You need it. Yep. Yeah. Definitely gum. Oh, or a mint. I have mints always. No, gum. Yeah, I'm me. saying mine is a mint. Mm-hmm. My version is mint. Oh, okay. <laughs> My version it's of like, gum no is brandy. A mint. <laughs> no. Something no. to read or a crossword puzzle yeah. book, like some activity, usually a book oh. or a crossword puzzle, but like something that can keep me busy and occupied if I'm stuck in line or on the subway. Yeah. My headphones, obviously. Mm-hmm. My water bottle. Most importantly, snacks. Mm. Oh. I have snacks on the handy always it's like a must for me and I don't have any kind of form of self-protection I always figured it would just be my hands and my teeth wow okay your yeah. teeth yeah, yeah I figure you just bite them really you just hard bite. bite them yeah that sounds good good for you I mean <laughs> if they get you from behind you're screwed but. I don't know if it's good or bad but yeah I've never had I've never had a self-protect item yeah okay no neither neither have i that's never really been a part of my really process wow you guys shocks me to death um (laughs) but this section had the perfect title because you ladies might know how much i love my mascara like my (laughs) mascara is the number one beauty product that i oh yeah that it's a need and a want it's an essential a necessity (laughs) and essential what brand mascara do you use oh i'm gonna plug this thank you emma for giving me that mac all the way all the way. All the way. Wow. All of their different mascara, mascara products. MAC is my go-to. Hmm. It's just, for some reason, I mean, I, I already have naturally long eyelashes. Yeah. But just be able, to be able to accentuate those, I always feel like I'm ready to go. If I have the mascara going, I'm, You're ready to go I, I'm all ready the way. to go. I'm You're ready, done. <laughs> I'm ready to go all the way. And Funny thing that I wanted to mention to you guys, which I don't think I've ever told either of you. So when I was a baby, 
my grandmother, it's I guess it's an old wives tale, told my mom that if because I was the first grandchild and the first girl in the family on my mom's side, if she shaved my head and cut my eyelashes while I was sleeping. Oh, my God. This is horrifying. They would grow. They would grow much (gasps) longer. Because it's like it's a thing. When you cut something, it usually grows. Like oh it's ch 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 chia. Right. <laughs> no, it's true. <laughs> but it's true. And I am a perfect representation of that because for <gasps> some reason my hair has always like grown ridiculously fast and I have really long eyelashes, which to this day people always say, especially because a lot of women wear extensions now on their they eyelashes. Look false. Yeah. They look false. Look They're like, like Are you sure lashes. those are real? No, yeah, they're real. Wait, so, Wait, your, so your mom cut- used to shave your hair? Yeah. She shaved it. when I was, I was probably like six, six to eight months old. She shaved my head. Oh my God. Multiple times. The first time she didn't do it, it was my grandmother who did it. And she was babysitting for me at the time. And my mom then oh. found me with a shaved oh, head. Oh shit. Oh my God. And the <laughs> eyelashes, I think they probably just, that just happened once or twice at most. But I think it actually did me a solid because <laughs> I have really long That's eyelashes. Crazy. That's hilarious. So for you moms out there, <laughs> no, I don't know. <laughs> I, Shave I, your I, baby's heads, clip their eyelashes. Clip their eyelashes. <laughs> oh my And so God. that's why to this day, mascara is always in my pocketbook or my purse. So this next section is entitled Orchids. And this is when uh, yeah. today sends a Eula Orchids. And after mm-hmm. she texts him, letting him know she prefers roses, so he sends roses, of course. Unbelievable. And at that point, their mother is thrilled. Uh-huh. And <laughs> it's so funny because Ayula nearly posts this on social media and Corday stops her and Corday notes And that it's been what? It's been like a month at this point. Since, Since the, the third killing. Yeah. The third, yeah. yeah. Okay. The third murder. And Corday right. notes that the last two times, at least Ayula shed a tear. Mm. With the previous murders, it seems like she, right now Ayula is completely oblivious to the fact that she's now a serial killer because Femi was right. her third murder. Right? Right. Mm-hmm. So for me, this brought up a whole bunch of questions. Like, why... Doesn't Ayula shed any tears this go around? What was the difference? Why is now Femi really? It seems to me that it, he's haunting Corday. That's interesting. Yeah, because she mentions that like she constantly is thinking of him. She she creates all these images for us of like right. him being eaten by yeah. fish, like and <laughs> over the bridge that she tossed him in. Right. They tossed him into. Yeah, um, she keeps thinking about him. Yeah. Well, and there's also the moment later with the um the guy she keeps seeing in the hallway at the hospital who keeps flirting with the girl. I can't remember their names, uh-huh. but she even has a moment where she talks about the way he smells. And she says it's the smell of sweat, but then that turns into the smell of cleaner, and then that turns into the smell of, I forget a exactly how body. she words it, but yeah. a decaying body. Yeah, so it is like this is in her consciousness Conscious. constantly. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And we also, later on, we find out about the other two victims, the first two victims. I don't know if I'm pronouncing this correctly. Somto and then Peter. And then there's reasoning behind why, I mean, somewhat reasoning behind why these two murders happened. One was really slimy and the other one was just dodgy. But my question to you guys is, is like, 
what it like do you guys have a theory behind why femi is so different and why ayula is just like so like so nonchalant about him and his whereabouts and his i mean what others are thinking his whereabouts and his murder in general hmm it's a great question. I mean, the first thing that comes to mind, I think, is that she's it's just now becoming, dare I say, habit. Mm, yeah. You know, I think that it's just I not as that. shocking as maybe the first two were. And now she realizes how easy it is because she keeps getting away with it. Yeah. So it's almost like it's become kind of a game. And the second that a they game. exhibit any yeah. sign of... Um, I don't even but see that's the thing. I don't trust her when she says that they that she kills them out of self defense. I I have a right. hard time believing that that's true. Right. So And so does Corday. Corday doesn't believe that. Right. So that's like my bigger question is why is she killing them and is that the difference in Femi or is it just that it's just one more guy and it was as easy as it was for the first two? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. Something I noticed about Femi that did seem to be different from the other two is that they're described as slimy and dodgy and stuff. But, like, Femi is a poet. Mm. Like, I think we get to read two different poems that he wrote. Yeah. He seems like a kinder, gentler, softer soul. He kind of reminds me of Tode yeah, a and, little yeah, bit. And, and he's meticulous. And gorgeous. No, no, no. Sorry, Mm -hmm. Emma. And gorgeous at some point, like very good looking, attractive, right? Right. Clean, tidy. Mm. He was definitely tidy. I forgot about that. But yeah, when they're cleaning up his house, that's definitely something that gets mentioned. Something that keeps getting brought up is, it's been brought up a couple of times, is this idea from Ayula that all men want is a pretty face. And it's it's certainly something we kind of start to see from Tode a little bit. He's so enamored of her, of Ayula. And I wondered if the same thing could be true of Femi. He is this poet. He is this, he does have this softer, gentler side. But we see in these chapters the way Ayula has started to treat Tode. She's a little bit indifferent to him, and yet he still pursues her. And I wonder if she sees that as kind of a character flaw. And in, like, a weird Dexter-like way, she thinks Hmm. she's doing the world a service or something by, like, ridding the world of these men who (laughs) might seem good, quote-unquote seem good, but, like, really, they're not, in her mind, they're not good people. I mean, I I love that point, and I... I'm like, yes, I think that's great, and I agree. However, I think that she really uses her looks as bait. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that she's one of those women that's like, oh, he just wants a pretty face. She prides herself on being that. Yeah. But she almost does it as somebody who's trying to lure people into her web. You know what I mean? She definitely has sort of an appetite for this, it seems like, at this point. I'm wondering if Femi was different because he's the one that rejected, was the first one that rejected Ayula. Oh, that's interesting. So if there was this rage behind, you can't reject me. rejected. Then that's That's why it could be a completely different, it's a completely different motivation from Ayula than her the other two victims. Right. Maybe. That's true. 
Who knows if it wasn't self-defense this go around. Except there is that one poem where he does seem completely infatuated with her. We don't know at what point True. that poem is written, but like he seems pretty head over freaking heels for her. True. As does Today. As does, does Today. And again, I mean, at this point, they've only had they've gone out for lunch. They've right. they've had one date. They went out for lunch, and then he sends her the flowers. And it was like an impromptu date. It wasn't like right. he right. asked her. It was just like an in the moment. Do you want to go have lunch right now? Excuse me while I slip my drink. <laughs> With ice. I, I was just going to say that he sends her orchids, then roses because she wants roses, and also the bracelet. So it's like... Uh. Yes. I do want to just mention this fun little fact, though, about the orchids, which I think Please. is really interesting foreshadowing. Or I might just be looking too deeply into it. I don't know. Yeah. No. But orchids lure flies into their flowers <gasps> by mimicking Whoa. the smell of rotting flesh. What? Oh, my God. Emma. So as soon as I heard or-, or saw orchids, I was like, oh, it's over. Oh, my God. Whoa. I mean, aside from that, they're also just like really elegant, luxurious. Like orchids are really hard to maintain. Like they're very they specific are. and they take a lot of care. And uh-huh. so it's a very particular flower it's not like sending roses or chrysanthemums so on the flip side of that i think tode really like personalizes orchids with ayula because he understands the complex person that she is but i can't get over that rotting flesh element of them it's interesting, though, because that's almost like he understands her better than she thinks he does. Yeah. But then she goes back mm-hmm. and she asks for the sort of more obvious, <laughs> more uh, like general flower. Yeah, she says, of I really prefer roses. <laughs> right. Dumb bitch. Huh. So it's almost like he really does see her. I think he does. And... Corday hmm. says, you know, actually, he's very insightful and he's very sensitive. Right. So Corday knows that that he does have those elements of being able to really right. pick up a person's personality. And I think he really does see Ayula. But Ayula says in that moment when Corday says he's different, Ayula says, no, he's not. And I can prove it to you. And then Maybe. their conversation sort of runs right, off. Right. But right. And maybe similarly to Femi, maybe Ayula's problem with these men is that they really do see her and she doesn't mm. want to be really seen for who she is. Mm-hmm. That's, That's an interesting. interesting point. Maybe she actually prefers the men that just see her for her beauty and nothing else. Yeah. Whoa. Whoa. Well, hmm. speaking of decaying bodies. <laughs> <laughs> Mm, my favorite. Wow. Should we just go into the father conversation? Because we like oh, we kind of skipped father, skimmed over that. Yeah. Like we talked Let's a little bit about it. he how Corday recounts letting her father die. But there's also yeah. this other section where as they plan the anniversary celebration mm-hmm. for him, his sister visits and gives the girls advice on how to get a man. How about right. that, ladies? Ugh. That whole conversation was so gross. I was like, well, this is good advice. Yeah, she's right. <laughs> just kidding. Just kidding. JK, JK. I don't know about this anymore. 
This came right here. If you're thinking that way, I don't know about is that one. Is this woman <laughs> drunk? <laughs> <laughs> yes, she is, folks. You're welcome. Well, so the thing that immediately jumped out to me, and I, we've sort of talked about it a little bit, but in this section of the book, I feel like Corday possibly describes the moment that she killed her father. It's not described in that way. The way she says it, she just watched him die and she didn't call for help. But I really do think it's possible that however he fell over, she had a hand in that moment. And what I thought was really interesting is that when her aunt is having this conversation with her about how to get a man or whatever, Corday sort of judges her aunt for not having a stronger moral compass. And I thought that was so interesting because it's like she thinks that there was some moral high purpose component to her watching her father die. And yet like her aunt is somehow the person with no moral compass. You know what I mean? It just sort of made me think like, what is really going on inside of Corday? If she can judge her aunt for just saying things about what a woman should do to tempt a man, and yet she watched her father die and let it happen, and she's questioning her aunt's morality but not her own, and she's cleaned up all these, she's cleaned up three murders at this point that her sister committed. Like, what is her moral? Right. And she even writes that she eventually, it's not like right away, eventually woke up my mother from Mm -hmm. her ambient-induced sleep and Mm -hmm. told her it was over. It was over. But I I look at that as her then saying to her mom, you're safe now. Yeah. See? Like she's done the right thing by letting him die. Exactly. So it's like moral relativism a little bit. A little bit. But... I'm now thinking about the mother. She needs Ambien to sleep. She could Mm -hmm. be a victim. Yeah. Or she could be causing a lot of anguish to someone else. And because of all her demons, either way, she needs drugs or some sort of medical. She needs help to sleep. Help to sleep. So I wanted to get into this section about them planning the party for the 10-year anniversary of the dad's death. So weird. But fittingly so, who was it that said, I wrote the quote down and I, oh, I guess it's Cora Day that says this. It must be. She says, we are nothing if not thorough in our deception of others. Mm -hmm. That's got to be Cora Day speaking. Yeah. Yeah. I.e., she realizes that no one in this family, except for maybe Aunt Taiwo, because I don't right. know that she was really privy to what was going on behind the scenes. None of them really have right. fond, loving memories of the dad, but they realize that they need no. to do this for uh, illusion. Kind of, right. I took that in the same vein of kind of like how Ayula is supposed to be posting on her social media about how much she misses Femi. Right. There's a lot of deception going on. It's interesting, though. I think the biggest deceiver of them all is mom actually because she throws this party as if it really is this anniversary commemoration when mom remembers what happened like she knows what was up 
and there is something about that because there's a thing where the caretaker or the mother figure does create this environment for her children not to suffer. But then mm-hmm. there's also the idea that she's doing this and she's not thinking about them. She's thinking about the whole facade of how they will appear in front of others, their right. family members and society as a whole. In a way, it's enabling the behavior. Yep. Yeah. Totally. Meanwhile, Ayula shows up in all purple because their dad hated the color purple. I loved that. Right. Well, that's all there is to say about that. <laughs> Moving on. So Tode comes to pick up Ayula for a date. Wait, do you guys, when he picks her up from a date and she walks down the staircase in a flapper <laughs> outfit... Right. Like it's all yeah. gold and shimmery. I was like, all right. Gold beads. Yeah. yeah. She's she well, and also she's doing. she makes him wait, right? Yeah, like half I think an Courtney hour. has to come upstairs and be like, hey, he's here. And she's like, what? He's early. And she's like, no, it's seven. And Ayula's like, oh. And then she like keeps on doing what she was doing. It's not a lady in waiting, is a man in waiting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, Always. she just gives zero fucks. Yeah, I don't love Ayula's attitude pretty much ever, I have to say. She doesn't give I a fuck about anything. She really doesn't. But but I will say, I don't think it's a malicious... What? It does... It you think feels, it's just oblivious? I think she's completely oblivious. I don't no. think she does it to hurt anybody. I think she just she lacks empathy. I think she's oblivious too, though. In terms of this side of things, I do think that she just like she just only thinks about herself, so she doesn't even yeah. think about how her how her actions affect anyone else. Yeah, right, but guys. She goes to the extreme of killing three people, so it's yeah, like she's there to kill. She's a sociopath. Right, but that just proves this point of, like, she doesn't care about... She doesn't clock what anybody else's feelings are. Right, or she's very self-centered. Are. Yeah. yeah, it's just all about yeah. what Ayula wants to do right now in the moment. But this also was the moment where I started to actually lose a little bit of respect for Today Because this is where I was like, maybe he is proving Ayula's point that he does just I want know. a pretty face. Because now he sent her orchids and roses, mm-hmm. and now he's giving her a gold bracelet, and he has barely spent any time with her. Like right. I have a hard time imagining that he really actually knows her personality and who she right. is. Right. So I feel like he's giving her all of these material things because he just wants to like sleep with her. Mm-hmm. He's so just this- so enamored of her. Yeah. So I don't know. This moment for me was like, come on, Tode, really? And again, we're reading this from Corday's perspective. That's so true. The thing is that we could see him as like Dr. McDreamy for those listeners out there that can associate it to that. <laughs> yes, please. But he could also be like a complete asshole, but because she's so enamored by him and so obsessed she with him, him that she yeah. sees all like the good qualities That's that true. he has as opposed That's to true. seeing what everybody else sees that he could be like a his pig. One yeah. thing I did clock in this moment is they give him the cake, right? There's a pineapple upside down cake maybe that is yeah. given to him. Yeah. yeah. And he asks who made it. And the mom is so quick to be like, Ayula, Ayula. of course, made it. <laughs> Even though it was really Corday. But Tode reacts in a way that 
is described as like, oh, good. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. he sort of clocks it as My like, woman oh, can cook. Check. Exactly. Bake. Check. Yeah. Beautiful. That was the moment for me that I was yeah. like, ugh. Bullshit. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Hashtag Femi Durand is missing. Yeah. Yeah. That hashtag has sort of fallen by the wayside. And, and that's it, when, after reading some of his poetry, Corday starts to question Ayula. Exactly. Yeah. The hashtag falling by the wayside, which, by the way, she makes a point to mention that that hashtag becomes less popular because there's a, a newer hashtag that's trending that's about which mm-hmm. brand of rice is better. It's like something Ugh, that's not right. important at all. That's like super right. trivial, but it's taken over. Right. But sadly, I mean, this bit made me think of how we now live in this we live in this society oh my god where things are so quick to be replaced like Mm -hmm. that and when things are not trending and when people stop talking Mm -hmm. about them and posting about them they lose their importance and we lose the momentum in something that's really important and it saddens me because i feel like we have lost a lot of momentum in fighting for the things that are really important right now and Absolutely. matters that um, we need to be fighting for and we have to keep pushing for justice. But mm-hmm. when these yeah. hashtags and these moments lose their momentum, we kind of forget and it's replaced by something else. Right. Um which I didn't mean to get into like a whole deep moment. No, but, but you're absolutely right. It's like it's kind of a trend and it shouldn't be that way. Right. It should be. It's like it's, it's fashionable yeah. to be posting about that. Right. Yeah. It's like as soon as one thing comes into play, we forget about everything else that mattered before. And now it's like this is the one. It's like we can only focus on one, one thing, thing at a time. Yeah. So anyway, so this hashtag stopped trending and so people kind of like stopped thinking about oh yeah Femi like where is Femi what happened to him and they make this note that his family has enough money that they're able Mm. to keep pushing the fight because they are willing to keep paying the lawyers and like paying for the publicity and you think well what would happen if if that weren't the case maybe people really would just kind of forget about him but because his family is so insistent and has the abilities to keep putting that in the forefront then we find out was it the neighbor that that realizes mm-hmm. that she saw another woman in the apartment so that's yeah, this is the exactly. first time that now Corday is being brought into the light as being a possible suspect suspect yeah and it's through her his Femi sister right that it all that the revelation right. arises Who through social media, on social yeah. media. Mm-hmm. right and I think what's interesting in this section, too, is that, like, Corday only gets brought in because of Ayula. Like, the suspicion is immediately on Ayula because she was the girlfriend at right. the time. And then it's not until the police are questioning Ayula that Corday sort of comes into the picture as the person who could be this second female figure that was seen leaving the house. And then at that point, it's they sort of start to drill down and say, well, whose car, you know, whose car did you take to leave? How did you get there? And Ayula claims she took an Uber to get there, but Corday came and picked her up mm-hmm. and they left in Corday's car. So Corday's car gets confiscated because they want to inspect it 
or Ugh. possible foul play. I was so nervous reading that because I've, you know, you've seen so many Ugh. TV shows where this circumstance happens and they always yep. find something in the car. Of course they do. But then Corday is all about questioning how clean and meticulous she was about making right. sure that the boot of the car was spick and span where and his I body do was. trust that she took care of that. I do trust that. And I'm glad you bring that up, Emma, because when I started reading these sec- sections and especially the next section that is entitled bathroom, she mm-hmm. goes on and on about how meticulous she is and about the bleach and the yep. bathroom and her cleaning regimen. Yep. And it immediately I I made this association with I think this movie came out in 2000, if I'm not sure. Did you guys ever see American Psycho with oh, Christian Bale? Yeah. Christian Bale, hello, yes. Hello, yes. <laughs> well, he has a shower Body. scene that's really juicy. Too. <laughs> but every scene in that movie yeah. is juicy. But he was so, like, overly groomed and uh-huh. everything about him was I so to a going with this. Mm-hmm. But I'm like, why is Corday so much this way? And she's so particular and so explicit about how she cleans everything everything i mean to quote this section because i have to read this out loud because it's insane she says but you can never clean a bathroom too many times so i roll up my sleeves and head to the toilet the cabinet under the sink is filled with everything required to tackle dirt and disease gloves bleach disinfectant wipes disinfectant spray sponge toilet bowl cleaner all-purpose cleaner multi-surface cleaner Bull brush, bull brush plunger and caddy and ordered shield trash bags. I slip on the gov- gloves and take out the multi-surface cleaner. I need some time to think. Who does that? A serial killer? <clears throat> well, Is that what you're insinuating? I like yeah. to clean too and I'm not a serial killer. I'm sorry, Brandy, but this is like... Next level. This is her the bleach, her medical profession how is she so overly critical of everyone else's appearance she knows exactly what to do and hygiene regimen like yeah. this is something that is very sociopath psycho yeah. I, I don't know this is to well, me and again she notes at the beginning of the book her uniforms are white Mm-hmm. Not like and everybody else. Everybody else's. Right, exactly. Everybody else's have turned yellow. So now they have to wear pink uniforms because they can't maintain the white ones. And she only has a conversation with someone that's almost a corpse. Well, and we talked about this in mm. the last episode, if I remember correctly. You know, we, we brought up the question of why does the author make such a point right. of uh, of calling out her meticulousness and her tidiness and her germaphobeness? Right. Right. So I think these are plugged in here for very specific, specific reasons. reasons. And I think right. it's yeah. that's a very fascinating take, like that she could become a serial killer. Yeah. She has what it takes more than Ayula. Well, and I think that's why it's so interesting to think about what could have happened to their dad. Like, exactly. Did he, did he trip or did somebody push him over? Yeah. And is that where Ayula learned how to take care of things. Mm-hmm. And that's why she con- they have this unspoken arrangement. This understanding. This understanding that this is like, Ayula knows what Corday did. And Corday mm-hmm. now needs to protect her sister because her sister has followed through, followed in her father's footsteps. 
So this comes out about the neighbor, you know, the neighbor comes forward saying he saw two women leaving the house that night. It's revealed that it is Ayula and Coraday. The police come to question them. And in the process of all of this, it's revealed that it was probably Coraday's car that was being driven. And they take Coraday's car away uh. to basically investigate it and see if anything, you know, awry happened mm-hmm. in this car. The most interesting part about all of this for me was that subsequently, Coraday says that she's just going to take Ayula's car to work. And Ayula, oblivious as usual, is like, what? What do you mean? Like, what will I drive? And Coraday's like, you can take a freaking Uber. I'm taking your car. (laughs) And their mom, ever the peacemaker, is like, why don't you take my car? And for the first freaking time, Coraday is like, no, Mm -hmm. I'm going to take her car. And she stands up for herself and she draws a line in the sand and she's like, no, this is the freaking point. I'm at it. I'm taking what's hers. Mm -hmm. Finally. 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 Or is she or is she at her break? Her breaking point. I think that's right. I think she's at her breaking point and it's like all bets are off from here. Yeah. I don't know that there's any stopping Corday at this point. I, I, I think it was a moment where I was like, oh, where does this agreement stand now? Because it does feel like once the police take her car, she could be liable for this murder. She could be the one they come to and say there was blood in your car. And what if she's held responsible for these murders that she's she's not really responsible for, but that she did help clean up? Right. But exactly. She helped clean up. So isn't she an accomplice? She's an accomplice, but Ayula would 100% let her take the full blame for these murders. It's not like she would step in and say, no, no, I killed them. She just helped me clean it up. Okay. She would let her take the full brunt. Maybe she would like she did with the roses, with the Mm. rose petals. I don't think Is that foreshadowing? (laughs) No. I don't think but so. But I'm wondering how many murders is enough? When is enough enough? Like, if you guys... I mean, for a serial killer, it's infinity. Right. No, but I'm talking about the accomplice. Like, let's say oh. either of you become serial killers. <laughs> <laughs> like, when, when would You're one of us be like... Now. I'm done. Like, I've already cleaned up two of your messes. This third mess, I don't but quite understand. How do you? how do you end that cycle? I know. I know what's going to happen. Tell okay, us. the cops are going to blame both of them. They're both going to be found guilty. And then Mama Bear, the mama, is going to be like, you don't do this to my children. And then she's going to kill everyone. And then she's now oh. the serial killer. And all the women are serial killers. <laughs> Bam. Wow. I think it's going to come down to a face-off, Ayula versus Corday, and I think it's going to be an exact mirror of what happened with their dad. I think Ayula is going to be gasping for breath, and Corday's is just going to watch her die. You think she's going to let her sister die? But you just said you would never let your sister. I think I think it could come to that that breaking point where you just had enough, and like those uninhibited like subconscious feelings yeah. and resentment mm-hmm. and all that shit comes out and I'm going to sound like a serial killer for 
<laughs> the, the only way that I could see that happening is if Ayula kills Today. And then Karete is so enraged by that. I think that's the only thing that could actually I make I think that even happen. I think even the threat of Ayula killing Tode will set Korode off. I don't I don't think she's gonna get to kill him necessarily, but like even the threat of that is gonna be enough. Well I, I think Tode's a good guy as far as Korode's concerned. I might be skipping ahead. And we can go back. But to the point that we're talking about when Boyega enters the picture. Oh, Which is Boyega. the new man in Ayula's life. Mm. The sugar daddy. The sugar daddy. The Wait. Sugar salut. Daddy. Come on. Come on. We have to cheers to that. I'm done. I'll cheers to the sugar say. daddy, but not to Boyega. Correct. Okay. <laughs> See, there's no ice anymore. And I Are you drinking your cocktail with a straw, Brandy? Yeah. Oh, wow. She is it's my fancy. thing. My thing keeps it cool in here, but I have to sip it out of a straw. I prefer a straw always anyway. She always does. I mean, today I didn't follow the rules, but Brandy never follows the rules. I'm always the one who stirs yeah. because I have a straw. So she stirs yeah. and sips. At least it's a metal straw. At least you're being eco-friendly. True. That's right. That's right. Okay, where were we? But going back to Boyega, right. the new man in the picture, Boyega. someone we didn't know that actually financed Ayula's right. fashion career. Okay. Gross. Mm-hmm. When he comes into play and then Corday and him meet face to face, she all of a sudden realizes that there were so many other lies mm. that Ayula yep. presented to her that she had no clue that. Yep were happening at the time. And actually, Ayula had berated Karede for saying like, oh, you don't do anything with your life. I've got this YouTube thing. Right. I found financing for it's it pre- or I got whatever. And Karede's like, what do you mean you found financing for it? Like this guy paid it for you. And Ayula's like, yeah, what's the difference? So I fear that because oh, of all gosh. these realizations... Corday's resentment and anger will become so overpowering that she will not be able to control her actions. She's going to see red. red. Yeah. Oh, yes. So, so much is going on in blood. Yes. Inside of her that she doesn't at all know how to control it, that she will, she right now is screaming at a wall and she's finally going to let all of that out. And you will kind of face lesson the consequences yeah. of everything she's done but that's just my theory sorry yeah no I feel that I have to say one of the things that I loved about this chapter with Boyega is that it's called MAGA <laughs> right <laughs> right and I cannot tell you how much I delighted <laughs> in the meaning of the chapter MAGA oh, say it one more time MAGA, (laughs) because what it means in their language is a fool who has been taken advantage of. And I thought, oh, how fitting. Appropriate. How appropriate. Hashtag Biden-Harris. Okay. I felt like there was a lot of, I don't know if you guys picked up on this, but I felt like there was a lot of misogynistic Mm. undertone. In these chapters, and Emma, I actually remember in the first section of the book, 
you had brought up the last ma official or you wanted to bring oh, up right. the last ma official, but we weren't quite sure where that fit. Oh, yeah. And I know that Corday talks about she gets pulled over by this last ma official. It seems like it's kind of a lower level police officer and he's giving her a hard time and she notes that she can't roll the window down too far or she risks him sticking his hand in and unlocking her door. Mm-hmm. And that was definitely something that made me wonder whether that same thing would happen if a man were in the car with her. Um, at the time, I didn't think much of it. But again, in these chapters, we have these young teenage boys taunting girls about their looks and their figures they're drawing them as either figure eights or as figure ones. Later in the chapters, as we talked about, their aunt gives them the most outdated advice ever <laughs> on how to get a man to propose by basically waiting on him hand and foot. There's mention made of their father being a womanizer and having had several sort of affairs. Uh, <clears throat> and then... Since you're saying that, hold on, I have yeah, to add please. this. He once yeah. told me you have to feed the cow before you slaughter it. It was the oh. way of life. Yeah. And then even their mother, we, we talked about this too. Their mother lies to Tode when he asks who baked the pineapple cake. And even though it was Corday, she tells him it was Ayula as if to say like, she's a great cook. She'll make a great wife. wife. Caretaker. And Ayula herself seems so aware of this culture when she continually tells Corday that all men want is a pretty face. She even says it to Dr. Today. It just seems like such a huge... It, it almost made me feel like, is this the yellow on their white, beautiful house? This culture that's just like... Is this why Ayula kills? She continually talks about how men only want a pretty face. Like, is there something about this misogynistic culture that's just suffocating them? Yeah, I think so. Because I think, you know, in this book, you have this woman who's only killing men. And it right. seems fitting that it's like you can only put up with you can only put up with so yeah. much and you can mm-hmm. only take in so much of that before you're just so enraged that you just want to kill them all. (laughs) And she's in a position to take advantage because she's so beautiful. So she has this lure to bring them in. But what I was also going to bring up is I don't think it's only a part of this culture. I see a lot of similarities in many cultures where misogyny is a it's still still a thing. Like there's oh, still absolutely there's president. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And it's just it's so unnerving and so just disgusting the way men not and I'm not generalizing because there's only there's everybody has a opinion, everybody has their thing, but there are men that still think that they're holier than thou and they can never mm-hmm. see a woman at the same level as their species. Like it yeah, just doesn't right. it, it and it's and it's awful how they treat women right. to hit their breaking point, as both of you stated. Right. If they're even so lucky to be able to hit their breaking point. Yeah. So right. many women don't even speak up at all. No. Yeah. Should I lighten this with something fun? Yes, please. Give us something fun. Give us something fun. (laughs) If I can find a question. (laughs) Please give us something fun. So I guess we'll end on this, my lovely ladies. 
Um, as we've discussed multiple times now, Corday is all about having a regimen. <laughs> yeah. And she fucking sticks to it. Even though whatever yeah. her underlying motives are behind it, <laughs> yeah. she always has a precise way of doing things and constantly criticizes others or judges others for not behaving similarly. Yeah. So I'm very curious, and I'm going to ask both of you this. What is one thing that each of you do and that you must do every day, which you can't live without? And it might even horrify you knowing that others don't see the need for it. I'm going to jump in on this because mine is real. Oh, it better be real. And I'm so lucky that I have the husband that I have because he puts up with this, even though it affects him too. But every single night, we do not go to bed without doing our dishes. We do the dishes every night. The kitchen is cleaned up every night. Brandy is a serial killer. (laughs) She's the next Christian Bale. (laughs) Yeah. Our living room, all of Doc's toys have to be put away. Our couch has to, I fluff all of the cushions, all of the pillows. There's a blanket that I lay out in a certain way. Like everything in our common areas has to be put away at the end of the night so that when I wake up the next day, I'm starting completely fresh. I'm talking no clothes in the bathroom know anything laying around the bathroom every single little thing in our apartment has a place and at the end of the night it gets put in that place so that when i wake up in the morning we're starting fresh wow ricardo's (laughs) gonna want to marry you after he hears this he's gonna want to do a wife swap oh jason might let him jason might be like please take her (laughs) oh so this threesome is becoming a sixum We're all going to become a, what are those called? Those. I don't know why I'm like that. I just cannot. It has to be that way. Those parties where the couple switch. Like the wife swap. No. Swingers. Swingers. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) I mean. All right. One of you go. Who's next? (laughs) Next victim. Emma? No, what'd she say? I'm going to answer this question. No, what did she say? I'm willing to try that. She just said that. (laughs) She literally just said that. I feel like you should try everything once. <gasps> oh, oh my. Okay. Oh my goodness. Right. I'm going to need another sugar, sugar daddy, please. Sugar daddy. <laughs> yeah. Well, my All answer right, is definitely, my answer to your question, Mariana, is not that spicy. It's actually pretty nerdy. <laughs> yeah. I I didn't answer this my answer to your question is not as um, I'm not answering all of the aspects of yours. Like it's not something that I can't live without. And it definitely wouldn't horrify me if no one else did this. In fact, I'd actually be like pretty surprised if anyone else did this. <laughs> but so you're the, not the serial killer. <laughs> I am not the serial killer. <laughs> it is not me. <laughs> but at the beginning of quarantine, I was trying to figure out how I could process this and handle it in a way that felt like I was learning something or I, I, I really wanted to kind of document this as a whole so that I could come back and remember what this felt like. Mm. Also, I didn't realize that it was going to last as long as it did. I thought it was going to be like two weeks to a month tops right. at the mm. beginning. So I thought, 
I'm going to keep a little log every day that I'm going to fill out every evening before I go to bed about what I did that day. Mm. I even had a separate log for all of the meals wow. that I ate because I wanted oh to remember God. like everything I cooked. I wanted oh to remember, goodness. you know, like new recipes that I tried wow. that I kind of gave up a while ago. But my evening log because there hasn't really been like a clear ending to quarantine, I'm right. still doing it. So today is day, I think, oh. 164. No. Holy oh my shit, God. Emma. I cannot deal with that, Emma. Well, part of it I think I'm still doing it is because I'm just a really stubborn person. And so once I decide that I'm going to do something, I do it all the way. And I and I hold fast to that. So like the beginning of quarantine, I also decided that I was going to read a play a day. And Which I was blows really my mind. strict about it. And I did. And I stopped, I think, at day 150. Holy so you read 150 shit. plays? Something close to that, yeah. Wow, Emma. Emma. That is, it's, I don't think it's stubborn. I think it's brilliant. That's yeah, I think amazing. That's amazing. It's definitely pretty stubborn, too. Because what it reminded me of, that, well, this evening log anyway, what it reminded me of was in college, I, I had a really terrible first night at college. I was really sad and I was really homesick. Aww. And I had read a letter that my dad had written me that just made me sob. And the Aww. only way that I really knew how to deal with those feelings was to journal. But by journaling, I was just making like bullet points about how I felt. Right. And it helped me. So I did it the second night. I did it the third night. I did it the fourth night. I kept a log for every night of all four years of college. Oh, my God, Emma. Crazy. That's unreal. That's unbelievable. It's obsessive. And this is why I say I'm stubborn because it was like, well, I've started it. I'm going to see it through That's the end. I, yeah, I That's agree. That's a level of stick to that, like gets people places yeah you know what i mean i absolutely. feel like that's how people achieve things absolutely is by sticking to things you like hold that. to your guns you're yeah you, once you do it you're all the way you're in it yeah well i wish i had applied this to my career earlier <laughs> this i don't know that i really learned anything from this but it definitely it's cool sometimes i go back and i'll just like check in on them and just remind myself where i was at that point in time you know and remember stories or how I, I was emotionally and, yeah I know I recommend it for if we have any youngins out there that haven't been to college yet it's a really cool project even just for like your freshman year try it keep a little log yeah because yeah. all we're left with are memories and yeah. uh, and this day is going to go by and then it's just we're only in the present and it's like poof Bye. I also just, think it's so important though like you sort of clock where you are based on where you've been Mm -hmm. And sometimes if you don't have a clear recollection of where you've been, you don't know how far you've come. Yeah. yeah. That's been important for me. Wow. Yeah. yeah. Wow. So definitely not horrified if no one else has done it. <laughs> <laughs> Mariana, what's yours? You I mean, after f I can't follow either of these two. <laughs> I feel like, fuck, man. Um, I was just going to say the one thing that I and Andrew... <laughs> He gets so annoyed by this. It's about locking the door to our apartment or like now yep. that we have a car, locking the door uh, to our car. Uh, so, yes, car owner. Yeah. Thank you. Now we, we're it. free. Free <laughs> to roam the streets. Um, <laughs> or like checking the stove at night that it's make sure yeah. that it's off. 
So I have like, and I don't know if this like, it's also like OCD, like obsessive compulsive, but I have to always check the stove, check the door a few times, check the alarm system. Like it's always like, it's become a thing for me. And it has been over Mm -hmm. the last, I would say 10 years. But there's certain things that I know that could potentially be a hazard to us while we're sleeping that I have to check. Well, that's smart. I don't know, but it's also like, so anxiety provoking too that I'm like, I know Andrew, you have, mean, you checked? have you checked have you checked yeah uh, well I don't think well, any of us are the serial killers I think we're good well <laughs> that Brandy remains, might be that remains to be seen <laughs> I can hear our theme music coming in now ba 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 she knows my editing too well <laughs> All right, you guys, thank you so much for listening. Tune in next Thursday. We'll be covering pages 113 to 166 in the hard copy. That's starting with the chapter called Father and ending with the chapter called Secret for people who aren't reading in the hard copy. A big thank you to Jimmy Fontanez and Meteorite Productions, as well as Text Me Records, for our music. Hey, guys, if you haven't already, come on, why haven't you? (laughs) Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts and leave us a 10-star review. 10? Is there 10 stars? I don't know. I feel like there could be. And if there's just five five stars. Yes, exactly. (laughs) There you go. Just double the the reviews. (laughs) Yeah. And also... Okay, for those who don't have iPhones, just saying. Oh, you guys exist? I'm not calling you out, but just saying. Lame. We're also on Spodcast. Spodcast. Spotify. What did you say? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Sugar Daddy. (laughs) (laughs) We're on Spotify Podcast. It's the, it's the new Spotify podcast. Spotify. No. We're on Spotify, guys. And also on Google Podcasts. And you'll find us on other platforms. But please, Apple Podcasts, Spotify Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. And you know you love us. Okay. And have you followed us on Instagram yet? Oh. Have you? If not, not yet. Well, then head to at Are These Books Drunk to keep up with next week's chapters, even though we just told you, and the cocktail pairing so that you yeah. can read along and sip along with us. Because uh, it's, cause it's always, always happy, happy hour. <laughs> Here. Aki, 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 Aki. Aki. Asthma. I love you guys. Ciao, ragazze. Bye, Bella. Bye, guys. (laughs) Uh huh.